Here in Exodus 33, sometimes you have sort of a favorite movie that you haven't seen in a long time, and you're halfway through the movie, and you're like, man, why do I even like this movie, right? I don't even know if it's that good. I don't know if it's that great. And then all of a sudden, this one scene starts, and then you get all the feels, right? All of a sudden, you're like, this is why I love this movie, right? Or book or whatever the case. And for me, Exodus 33 is that for the book of Exodus. It's that for Moses as a character. Probably one of my favorite Old Testament characters and just characters within the Bible uh, completely. And here we just see Moses' desire and love for the presence of God. You see, Moses desired God's presence more than anything in life. And, you know, some of us, we're in a place in life that we're still trying to get certain uh, physical things we like. We still desire certain cars or certain jobs. We really want this or we really want that. Moses came from a place where he had absolutely everything. He's in line to become Pharaoh. He has absolutely everything. All the money, all the power, all the prestige, anything that anyone could ever desire in life. Moses had all of it. And we'll read it probably a couple of times this morning. And yet Hebrews 11 tells us that he made his calculations and he saw that it was better to suffer with God's people than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin in Egypt. So again, you have a man that has had everything that the world has to offer. And he says that is nothing compared to the presence of God. And again, I pray that's where we would be this morning. Quick story, quick analogy. You know, I don't know if you've ever taken a certain class in high school because you wanted to be with a certain girl, right? I know some guys, they start taking home ec out of nowhere, right? Or, or perhaps a French class or something like that. And really, you were there for the girl. You could care less about the language or making French, uh, friendship bracelets, right? Or whatever the case may be, you were there for the girl. And in a sense, that's what we see here with Moses, that the Lord promises his Moses hey, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you an angel, an angelic being that can destroy anyone that comes against you. I'm going to clear out all the land. I'm going to give you the land of milk and honey, but I'm not going to go with you anymore. And Moses, in a sense, is saying, I'm not here for the class. Lord, I'm here for you. I'm here to be in your presence. So again, that's a great question for us to ask ourselves and be thinking on in the background as we go through chapter 33. If the Lord would promise to give you everything except himself, would you be willing for that deal? Would you say, Lord, absolutely, no more debt, any car I want, all the money I want, the house, the boat. Lord, yeah, God, just leave me alone. Just give me all the desires of my heart. Again, it's going to really show where we're at. If we really love him or if we're just looking to him as a genie. So whenever he doesn't answer our prayers, we get mad at him because he's not acting like a genie. He's acting like a father. And a good loving father doesn't always give us what we want, right? So again, are we angry with God because he's not our genie, not doing everything we ask of him? Or are we grateful just to be in his presence? So Exodus 33 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart. And go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send my angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff Next, people. Again, God promises, I'm going to give you all the desires of your heart. Just, I'm not going to be along for the ride. I'm not going to be here for that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, To be given every other blessing is of no value if God is not with you. What is the value of Canaan? What is the value of milk and honey? What is the value of having possessions if God is not with them? They saw that the realization of God's presence, having this fellowship and this company, was infinitely more important than everything else. Again, I pray that the Lord would do that in our hearts, that we realize all the money, all the glory, all the power, all the stuff 
Without God's presence, it's pointless. Again, to the parents out there, there are many kids that they go to school, they get their graduate, they get the Ivy Leagues, they are in the job, they get all the things that this world desires that many parents would say is good and great. But yet the fellowship with the parents is broken, the marriage of the kids is broken, and then all of a sudden, was this really worth it? Yes, my kid has the education and the job, but they have no relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus warns us, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? We see that this hurt the nation of God. In verse 4 it says, And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So the children of Israel, they stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Again, this was terrible news for the people of God. And they were willing to show their mourning and God saying, we're going to break fellowship here. We're not going to have presence here. We're not going to have relationship. And we do see a great amount of repentance here within the nation of Israel. They're being obedient to the Lord. They're taking off their ornaments. They're taking off their outward adornment, showing that they're going through a time and a season of mourning. It's interesting, right? God, he, he uses our terminology, right? He says, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, right? It's basically what he says at the end of verse 5. I don't know if you ever said that to your kids before, right? I don't know what I'm going to do with you, right? Just trying to decide it out, trying to chew it out. And again, the Lord is showing his displeasure towards sin in the nation of Israel. I, haven't I done enough for you? I freed you from Egypt. I freed you from slavery. You've seen the Red Sea ripped in two and then squashing your enemies. And yet you would turn to worshiping a golden calf? Really? One beautiful thing in this is in Exodus 35 verse 22 Later on, we'll see these same ornaments that were once used to create the golden calf will one day be used in Exodus 35, verse 22. It says, They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and they brought the earrings and the nose rings, the rings and the necklaces, all the jewelry of gold that is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord." The very same ornaments and rings and gold that was used to create this golden calf would one day, their leftovers, what was left, they would use it to donate to the Lord to create that tabernacle for God. Again, we've been looking at it in First Peter, but to the measure that we were in love with the world, to the measure that we were running after our own devices, we should be that much in love for the Lord. We should be running to God that wholeheartedly, right? What were you doing in your sinful season, right? Going to the club almost every day, going to the bars almost every day, blowing how much money on alcohol, how much money on drugs, wasting how many sleepless nights to get whatever thing you wanted. And yet now God saves us. He loves us. He redeems us. And, ah, Lord, I'm just too tired for Sunday morning, right? Not you guys. You guys are here at the morning service. So not you guys, right? That's the 11 a.m. That we would give the Lord our all. That we wouldn't say, Lord, I'm going to run wholeheartedly towards this world. Lord, you've saved me. You've forgiven me. You've given me grace and mercy. You've protected my family. You've protected my kids. Ah, God, you see my heart. I'm just too tired for this. Lord, I'm just getting too old for this, right? But the heart of the people, we see the repentance there. Now in verse 7, Moses begins to intercede for the people. And we see this is sort of completely out of Moses. We don't see God commanding this, right? It says, Moses took his tent, and now he pitches it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tabernacle of meeting. This isn't the actual tabernacle yet that we've been looking over the blueprints. This is a, just a tent of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Again, Moses just came from being alone with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And yet it seems that Moses was not satisfied. Right? He just got down from spending nonstop 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no water, no drink with God. And yet the moment he gets down, he deals with the sin, he deals with the people. And then right away he says, Lord, I want more of you. 
I want to spend more time with you. And Moses knew that he couldn't spend that time with God in the midst of all the people, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, in the midst of all the madness and craziness going on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Let's turn there. Such an important scripture, a scripture that's uh, been convicting me a lot this week. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It tells us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Again, that we would have, this is the heart of Moses here, that we would have the same heart. We're willing to walk by faith so we believe that God is, we believe that God exists that he's really out there, that he really is the creator of heavens and the earth, that he really is our father, and that we will all one day have to give an account to him for our relationship with Jesus or lack thereof. And if we have that relationship with Jesus, we're going to have to give an account to God for what we did on this earth. If you're living a life of faith, that's what that means, that you believe these things. But then the second half of verse 6 is not only do we have to believe that he exists, that he's the creator of heaven and earth, that he's our father, that he's going to be our judge, but we also believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Family, are we diligently seeking him? Day in and day out, are we seeking him or have we had enough? We're okay because everything is okay, our bank's okay, our health is okay. So Lord, I don't really have to seek you all that much right now. Or are we diligently seeking him no matter what? Again, in a sense here, Moses, we don't see any problems with his health. God has just promised him the promised land. God has promised him the angel, the protection. And yet Moses is saying, I don't have to have need to want to desire God. I just love him that much. Moses just loved the presence of God so much that even though he had no need, even though he just spent 40 days alone in a mountain with only God, he said, I want more of his presence. Again, family, that we would really believe that. And this is the truth, that he's going to reward those who diligently seek him. Again, family, do we want that reward? Imagine being able to get a reward from God himself. Here it's telling us that it's out there. But we have to believe that if we diligently seek him, we're going to gain that reward, which means we're actually going to diligently seek him. And Moses, notice again, he puts it outside the camp. There's a separation there. Martin Lloyd joins, he says, when the Holy Spirit of God begins to deal with any of us, there will be a separation. It will not be paraded. It will not be like the Pharisees that I'm holier than you type of attitude. No, once a man begins to be burdened for the glory of God and the state of the church, he immediately feels the call to consecration. He goes out as it were. Again, family, if you've tasted of God and his presence, there's going to be that difference between you and the world. You're going to look at this world more and more and say, where am I, right? Is this a twilight zone? Am I on Mars all of a sudden? Is this a simulation? Is this a bad dream? This is the dystopian empire that we see in all the movies, right? Is that where we are at now? Again, as we love Lord more and more, as we're called to his holiness more and more, we're going to be separated. We're not going to be watching the same movies. We're not going to be acting like them. We're not going to be having the same hobbies. Not because we're better than them, but simply because we love the Lord that much. And God here, through Moses, he makes that clear line. If you want God, you have to work. You have to go outside of the camp. And this reveals those who truly are seeking after God and those who are fine being like everyone else. Anyone who was too tired or too lazy, it was too much out of their comfort zone, it just wasn't simple enough, they really didn't get to be in the presence of God. But God's presence was there. It was there for the taking for everyone and anyone. The problem is just few people are really, being, are really willing to be the ones who go out there to seek God's presence. Right? It's a great question for us this morning. Are we part of that few that we're saying, Lord, I'll go outside the camp to spend time with you. Lord, I'll wake up earlier. Lord, I'll set that alarm clock. Lord, I'll discipline myself because, God, you are worthy to be sought after. Lord, you are so worthy. I don't deserve to be in your presence. So, Lord, I want to be with you no matter the cost. 
Again, we've seen even in chapter 32 that Moses, he drew that line in the sand, if you would. He told the people in verse 26, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And here God is doing the same thing. If you want to spend time with me, you have to go outside the camp. Verse 8, it shows us again that this was in a sense happening for a little season here. It says, so it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people, they rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. Again, the people would see Moses worshiping or Moses on the path to worshiping, and this would cause the people to desire to worship themselves. And when we seek God, when we're drawing near to Him, the people around us, they're going to, oh, in a sense, have salt, right? Salt in their mouth. That they're going to want that water to a certain degree. Now, after God speaks to them, it's up to them how much they want or how little they want or if they're just going to give up on it, right? The parable of the sower and the seed, if that seed's going to be taken away or plucked away or die, but there's going to be that desire there. It might not be the same. It may not be as deep or as close as our worship or desire of God or love for God. But our worship can draw others to begin to draw closer to the Lord right where they stand. Again, that seed being planted once again, if you would. James chapter 4 verse 8, there's a promise here for us. It tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Again, family, I encourage you, go outside the camp. You don't have to literally go out to the Everglades, right? You don't literally have to go out on a boat and go 10 miles out to the Atlantic and say, okay, Lord, here I am, right? I'm outside of Miami. I'm outside the camp. No, just go outside. Leave your phone. Turn off the distractions, right? In the New Testament, it says go into your closet. Find that quiet place where you're outside the hustle and the bustle, all the noise, all the friendships, all the neighbors, all the sin, and spend that time with God. Verse 9, it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. Again, what a joy here for us. We see here that God would not stand Moses up. There's never a time when Moses went outside the camp and went into the tabernacle of meeting and, God, are you there? Right, Lord, where are you? No, each and every time the pillar of cloud would be faithful to meet Moses each time he entered the tabernacle of meeting. And the same is true for us, family. When we are willing to go outside the camp, when you're willing to go into your closet, willing to go outside, leave your phone, leave out the distractions, he will answer you. He will speak to you. Sometimes it's a still small voice and you're saying, I haven't heard him in so long, but he's saying, remember the sin we talked about that you still haven't dealt with? I really can't move on and sharing anything else with you because you're proving to me that you love your sin more than you love me. So when you deal with that sin, then I'll give you some more and more and more, right? In Psalm 99, we could turn there. Again, how great God is just in my own devotional time. Psalm 99, we see here the, man, the difference, the intimacy, the special relationship that we can have with God. Psalm 99, verse 6 through 8, it tells us Moses and Aaron were among his priests and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. Again, here the psalmist, he points out the relationship that Moses, Aaron, and Samuel had with God. That they would call on the Lord. And what was the difference in their relationship? God would answer them. But right? it's one thing to have someone's phone number, right? It's one thing to have their contact information. But if we're honest, it's a whole other thing if they're actually going to answer your call, right? Right? It seems like every single core warranty manufacturer out there has everyone's contact information here, right? Every day, three times a day, hey, I'm here to tell you your warranty's about to expire, right? Or whatever the case may be. But how many times do you guys actually answer? 
and talk with them and spend time with them or waste your time with them. I don't know, right? It's up to you and what you think about that stuff. But again, the difference between their relationship with God is that the Lord would answer them. And the Lord, through the New Testament, through the death and sacrifice and grace of Jesus Christ, he's willing to answer us. That now when we call, it's not just the special three guys, Samuel, Aaron, and Moses, but now any of us can call and cry out to him because now because of Jesus, we are adopted. We are sons and daughters. We're not just enemies trying to call out to the other side saying, hey, forgive us. Hey, can we talk? Can we have a relationship? But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, now we get adopted into this family. And that's why we get to cry out, right? As the New Testament tells us, Abba, Father, Daddy. You can write down Psalm 20, verse 6, the same idea. It says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Again, the Lord, he's willing to save you. He's going to answer you, and he's going to save you with his right hand. Psalm 91, what a great psalm. At the end of it, verse 14 and 15, it says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. And honor him. Again, family, do we want this intimacy with the Lord? Do we want this type of closeness and friendship and relationship with God that he'll answer us when we call him? When we're going through trouble, he's there alongside of us. He's there with us, right? Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how there's a fourth there with them. Again, that we would want that. We would desire that. Back in Exodus 33, verse 11 It just continues to just get deeper and deeper. Verse 11, it says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Allow me, if you would, we'll just look at the end of verse 11 first, and then we'll give a good amount of time to look at the beginning of verse 11. We see here that Joshua, the son of Nun, he saw the relationship that Moses had with God, and he wanted the same. Right? Even when Moses was busy, right? Moses, he had to go to work. He had to go here. He had to go there. Joshua, in his youth, in a sense, he says, I don't have anywhere else to go. I'm going to stay here in God's presence. And how Moses and how Joshua desiring to stay in the presence of God, I have no doubt in my mind, is part of the calling that God would have in his life to be the next one to lead God's people. The one who would actually lead God's people into the promised land. So again, if you're here, man, if you're young or maybe you're retired here, you have a little bit of extra time, use that time to stay in God's presence more and more. Use that time to say, Lord, I don't want to leave from your tabernacle. God, I don't want to leave from your presence. Lord, I don't have anywhere to go. So God, I want to be here more than ever before. But back to Moses, right? The relationship between Moses and God. right? That that word face-to-face there, it literally means mouth-to-mouth. I think in the New King James Version, they put it face-to-face so he wouldn't be a little bit weirded out, right? Instead of mouth-to-mouth, face-to-face. But it's talking about the intimacy that Moses' friendship with the Lord, how close they were. Not literally beholding the face of God, but enjoying the direct, intimate conversation with the Lord. David Guzik, he writes that there for us. Again, that we would have that intimacy with the Lord, that we can talk with him, converse with him, spend time in God's word with him. And man, can you imagine hearing the voice of God, being that close to him? The same voice that spoke light into existence, calling you by name. The same voice that spoke the earth into existence, that created each and every animal, that stopped the oceans where they are right now, willing to say your name, willing to talk to you, willing to get to know you and spend time with you. Can you imagine being able to hear that fellowship and intimacy with the God of all creation? And again, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are able to taste of the same fellowship, the same intimacy. But do you actually want it? That's the difference here. 
I'd imagine a husband or a wife saying, hey, honey, I love you, but I'm okay if I don't see you anymore. As long as you do the dishes, as long as you take care of the kids, as long as the house is clean, you can do whatever you want. I'll be in my room, you be in your room, right? You would say, well, that marriage is over, right? That's over, that's done with. But if we're honest, that is exactly how I treat the Lord, right? That's how I treat God. Lord, I'll let you be. Lord, you do your thing. Just God, take care of me. Take care of my health, my family, my bills. Lord, give me a couple extra little things here and there. And God, I'll leave you alone. You just stay up there and I'll do my thing down here. Again, imagine being able to have that friendship with God, that blessing with the Lord. So much power, so much majesty, so much holiness. How can it be that the God of all creation wants to speak to you and to me? How can it be? Again, do we want that? Do we desire to hear his voice? I hope you do. And I think it's wise that we take some cues from Moses if we really want that closeness to God. A couple of things we see from Moses, a couple of things we know from Moses. We know that he loved God's people. He loved and he cared for God's people. We see him, right? God gives him a great deal if we're honest, right? God says, okay, Moses, these people are absolutely terrible. Let's just smoke them all, right? Moses is up there in the mountain with God. God says, hey, Moses, it'll just be one big puff of smoke. They'll be fried. And then Moses will start a whole new family, a whole new nation from you. And Moses goes, no, guy, we can't do that. We can't do that, Lord. This is your chosen people. Again, Moses, he had a love for God's people. Secondly, Moses gave up all the riches in Egypt to suffer with God and with God's people. This is a scripture we referenced earlier. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. Again, tells us of the faith of Moses, the desire, the love, and the faith that he had for the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. It says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Again, Moses, he gave up all the riches. He gave up all the power. He gave up the very best that the world had to offer. And he said, you know, there are greater riches suffering with God's people than staying here in the palace in Egypt. Another thing we gather from Moses here in God's word is that he was willing to draw the line in the sand. He would take a stand towards sin. It's completely going polar opposite, saying that you love God and yet living in a constant state of sin. It's polar opposite. It's polar opposite to the dads here, to the moms here, to say, man, we give God our all. We thank God for what he's given our family and yet allowing sin to run through our family and our sons and daughters. It's an oxymoron, if you would. You're saying, Lord, I love you. I'm so thankful for everything you've done for me. Here's the one thing that killed you and put you to death on the cross. So, Lord, it's okay if it's running rampant in my life. It's okay if it's running rampant in my family. That makes no sense. That makes no sense whatsoever. Moses was willing to draw the line in the sand. He was willing to execute God's justice against sin. He loved God so much and he loved God's people so much that he said, we need to make a stand against sin. The next thing, we'll read it later on, but we will learn that Moses was humble and he was meek. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. So again, some characteristics within Moses that I believe led to this tight, unity and relationship with God he loved God's people he gave up all the riches in Egypt to suffer to be intimate with God he drew the line in the sand executing God's justice against sin and he was humble and he was meek simply put for uh, any of you that are more simple-minded like me he loved God he loved God's people and he hated sin three simple things he loved God he loved God's people and he hated sin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus, in a sense, gives us this same type of promise. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see 
God. Again, the requisite in order to see God, it's not having pure actions. It's not having a pure mouth. It's not having pure service here at church. It's nothing on the outward. It's having a pure heart. It's something that God looks at the inward. And if we have that pure heart, we're going to see him. Not only in this life, but definitely in the life to come. This pure heart has the idea of a straightness, of an honesty, of a clarity. Charles Spurgeon speaking here in the Mount of Beatitudes, he says, Christ was dealing with the spirit of men, with their inner and spiritual nature. He did this more or less in all of the Beatitudes, and this one strikes to the very center of the target. He does not say, blessed are the pure in language, blessed are the pure in action, much less blessed are the pure in ceremonies or in raiment or in food. But blessed are the pure in heart. If you want to see God, it's not about your outward religion. It's about your heart. Is it clean? Is it pure? Is it straight? Is it undivided for the Lord and the things that he loves and the things that he hates? Again, what a promise. What a reward for us that if our heart is pure, we will see God. A couple of scriptures here to make this practical, plain and simple for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it tells us, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So peace with people and holiness. That's what's required if you desire to see God. If you're bickering with everyone, fighting with everyone, if you have, right, Miami, if you have complejos with everyone, right, you can't sit with anyone at church because you have problems with everyone. You're not going to see God. Holiness is your life holy. The things you put before your eyes, the things that you're listening to, your conversation, is it holy? Because if you don't have holiness, hey, you're not going to see the Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, John the Apostle, he tells us, if we say that we have fellowship with him, right, that we know God, we're close to him, we have that tiny relationship, if we say we have that, but we're walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Again, another notch there for holiness. If we are walking in darkness, if we are habitually in sin, you can't say that you're close with God. You can't say you have a tight-knit relationship with the Lord. Right? Imagine, hopefully no marriages here, but imagine a marriage where the husband's constantly cheating on his wife, right? And yet someone asks, hey, how's your marriage? Oh, it's going great, right? I just cheat on her every once in a while. But man, our marriage is great. Our marriage is incredible. Saying, no, you're lying there. If you're walking in darkness, you have no fellowship with God. 1 John 3 verse 6 continues the same idea. 1 John 3 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. And whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Again, this is not talking about being perfect. But what do we usually do, right? Our desire, our nature at this point, is it to just constantly be in sin? Because if we're just constantly in sin, you don't know God. You're not going to be like Moses. You're not going to have that intimacy with him. Psalm 17 verse 15, really one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Here we see the, the balance of being able to see God in this life and the joy and the promise of seeing God in the life to come. Psalm 17 15, it says, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness i shall be satisfied when i awake in your likeness again the balance there the only way we're going to see god's face in this life is walking towards righteousness again holiness not just between us and god but between us and mankind and us and the lord within our heart and then when is the only time the only moment that we're going to be satisfied is when we wake up and we get to see him face to face right no longer as paul says through a mirror dimly or through a glass darkly but one day we're going to get to see him face to face david guzik he says ultimately this is the this intimate relationship with god must become our greatest motivation for purity greater than a fear of getting caught and greater than a fear of consequences See, some of us, were still struggling with sin because the only reason we don't want to be in sin is because we don't want other people to find out. 
The only reason we don't want to be in sin is because we're afraid of the consequences that our sin will demand from us. And that's why we keep struggling. We keep going back and forth. But if we can begin to look at sin and say, man, the reason I want to live in purity is because the more pure I am in my life, the more I'm going to see God. The more I'm going to know Him. The closer I am going to be to the Creator of heaven and earth. The basis for all this is seen in Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. You could turn there. And I hope this echoes your heart here. Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Anyone here blessed? Anyone here that blessed man or woman that realizes, wow, Lord, you've forgiven my transgressions. Lord, all of the sin in my life, Lord, all of the disgust in my life, Lord, you're not counting it towards my charge. But because of the death of Jesus Christ, Lord, you've put that on him, and now you see me as perfect, washed in the blood of the Lamb. This is the foundation, really, for this desire to be with God more and more. Because if you don't really care that you've sinned against the Lord, if you don't really care that he's forgiven you, if it's something that you just look over, you glance over, you're not going to really desire more of him. You're going to want from him like somebody wants from a genie or from someone else, but you're not going to really want him. That's why we have to pray, Lord, help me know the weight of my sin. Lord, help me know the weight of your forgiveness and your love for me. I love the woman there just weeping before the Lord and how Jesus says, He who is forgiven much loves much. There are many believers, even in this room today, that you don't love that much because you think, I haven't really been forgiven of all that much. I'm better than the people around me. There are worse sinners out there. So-and-so, they're worse. Those people, oh, those people are bad. But me, I'm not that bad at all. You're not going to love him all that much. You're going to think you deserve it in a sense, right? The one who sees God is the one who walks in righteousness. The one who's so blown away at the forgiveness of God that he will do all he can to flee from sin and pursue the Lord. And it stems from a heart of humility, a heart of brokenness. It's a man who sees God's authority and God's power and realizes, I am nothing. I am nothing. I don't come anywhere near your authority. I don't come anywhere near your power. And finally, it's a man who sees his own sin greater than the sins of those around him. This is the man, this is the woman that will be able to taste of the intimacy of God. This is the man that will see God. Again, and the problem is many of us, we're still striving for other things. That's why we're okay living a life of sin. Because we're still wanting the guy, we're still wanting the girl, we're still wanting the power, we're still wanting the friendship with different sinners in our lives. But if we would realize really what this world has to offer, then we'd be like Paul, we'd be like Moses, right? Again, Moses, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, here you have Paul Right, Once known as Saul, he had all the money, all the power. He was at the top of the religious totem pole in Israel. And he says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. King James Version it makes it hit a little bit harder, right? says, I count them but dung. It's just dung. It's a bunch of garbage. The best this world has to offer is just garbage. That's why Paul was consumed with gaining Christ. He was consumed with knowing Christ. The same here with Moses. We're going to see Moses. He says, I could care less about the promised land. War is having an angel lead us through warfare. God, I've been through wars in Egypt. I don't care about that. God, I want you. It's your presence that I want. More than anything else. Back to Exodus 33 verse 12. It then says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if 
I have found grace in your sight. Show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Again, Moses sought for God's presence more than anything else in his life. That's what he desired more than anything else. Here in verse 12, he's basically saying, Lord, you said you were going to go with us. Lord, I don't know this angel. We're not on a first name basis. I don't know who this guy is. Lord, I know you. I signed up for you. That's why I'm in this French class. That's why I'm in home ec, right? It's because, God, I want to be with you. I want to know you. Moses, he didn't care about the promised land. He just wanted to be near to God. And look at the basis for Moses, right? And his relationship with God in verse 13. It wasn't based on what he had given up. It wasn't based on his hard work there in the desert. In verse 13, he says, if I have found grace in your sight. It's all based on grace. None of us deserve it. None of us will ever deserve it. None of us can say, Lord, I've been serving at Calvary Chapel, Miami enough, so Lord, I deserve your presence, right? It's, Lord, if I found grace. Lord, if your word is true, if Jesus' sacrifice is true and enough for you, Lord, can I know you? Can I be with you, right? Moses, he's telling God, how are the nations going to really know we are your people if you don't go with us? Lord, that's how they are going to know that we are your people, is that if you are with us. It's so sad. Sometimes you see married people that are rarely with the person they married, right? And saying, hey, are you married? Because I never see you with so-and-so, right? I never see you with your significant other. How do you know that they really belong to each other? You see them with each other. You see that intimacy. You see that closeness with each other. And that's what Moses is saying. Lord, how are we going to be known as your people if you are not with us? Right? How are you known as a child of God if you never spend time with God? If you're never in God's presence, how are you going to really be known as a child of God? Verse 14, the Lord, again, seeing the heart of Moses, seeing Moses intercede on behalf of the people, he says, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Again, highlight verse 14 in your Bibles. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Again, we've talked about it in this season, how there's more suicide than ever before. There's more anxiety than ever before, more depression, more fear. If you want rest in your life, you want the presence of God. Each and every one of us were created for its intimacy with God. It's his presence. So that's why there's so much anxiety, so much depression, so much fear, because people are not spending time with God. Sadly, Christians, they're not in God's presence. So they're fearful, they're anxious, they're not at rest because the only way we will have that rest is if we are in God's presence. That's the only way. But you think of David writing the Psalms. He's running for his life from the president of the country with 3,000 soldiers and he's able to be at peace. He's able to be at rest because he was in God's presence. Another season in his life, he's running away from his own son. His own son is trying to hunt him down and kill him and take the throne. And yet he's at peace. He's crying. He's dealing with anguish. But he says, Lord, I thought about the end of their lives. Lord, I'm at peace. Because at the end of our lives, we're just going to be in God's presence more and more. So maybe you're here. And that, that, the whole reason you're here, just to hear that verse 14. If you really want rest, if you really want peace, you have to be in the presence of God. Not just once every year, once every four years, right? But man, as much as you can, desiring as much as you can. Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for, again, what's the basis of Moses and God's relationship? Grace. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses here in a sense, he's saying, man, this conversation couldn't be going any better. So, eh, what's the worst I could say? No, right? In verse 18, he says, please show me your glory. He's literally saying here, God, can I see all of your glory? Lord, I guess we're on a good note. You've said yes to everything I've asked so far. So, eh, what's the worst that you could say? No, 
I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that or you start developing a friendship or relationship, something goes well. Remember one time, uh, me and Jerry, we were renting a car and uh, there was a guy in front of us and he was arguing he wanted a certain car because of certain seatbelt or cruise control or something crazy like that, right? And the guy's like, look, it's four tires and a steering wheel. Every car has four tires and a steering wheel. Chris, he's the one selling them, so he doesn't care, right? So he's saying, it's all the same. Don't worry about it. Just take any car. And he looks at him and goes, right? Everything's four wheels and a steering wheel. I go, yeah, everything's like that, right? So then he goes to me, ah, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have your car. I'm like, okay, here we go, right? So I could give you this. It's a little smaller. This is a little smaller. Now, you got a 12-passenger van? Everything's a steering wheel and four wheels at the end of the day, Right? And he goes, yeah, 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 I'll give that to you. I'll give that to you. So, hey, we got the 12-passenger vehicle, no extra cost, anything like that. And just sometimes you're saying, eh, what's the worst that someone could tell me? No. And again, this is what Moses does, and it's with the creator of heaven and earth. If we're honest, he's being gutsy here. Some religious people are saying he's being a little unholy. He's not reverencing, he's not respecting God enough to say, God, can I see, can you show me all of your glory? But again, to Moses, it was all based on his grace. It was all based on his grace. Moses knew that he had no reason to be in God's presence. He's saying, Lord, if this is based on your grace, can I see your glory? Can I see who you are and your power and your love and your majesty? John Trappy says, this hunger for more of God, for more of an experience with God, is a mark of true revival and restoration of relationship. Whatever Moses had experienced with God, he still wanted more. The more a man knows of God, the more desirous he is to know him. Again, 40 days in the mountain with God. Then he's spending time with God there in the tabernacle outside of the city. And yet he says, God, I still want more. Family, do you still want more of the Lord that is so sweet to see some of the couples that are dating, those that are engaged right now. And does the girl ever ask the guy, hey, you want to come over to my house? And I'm sorry, honey, I've seen you enough times this week, right? I spend Sunday with you, Monday with you, Tuesday with you. No, no, I'm okay. No, when they're in love, it's every day. It doesn't matter, right? How far do I got to drive? Think of my dad used to drive from New York City, from Miami all the way to New York City to spend time with my mom, right? I'm sure every couple in here has some crazy story of the length that we would go to spend time with one another. And that's, again, true love is there no matter how much time you are with each other, you want more. Some of you marriages here are saying, that's not the case anymore. Pray, you could talk to George Lee afterwards, right? That's a different conversation, different teaching. But again, this shows a true love and desire for God. That we're not saying, Lord, I've had enough. Lord, I'm okay. Lord, Sunday, ah, I don't got to go on Wednesday. And I love it when there's new believers coming to the Lord. Because they come on Sunday, there's a midweek service, oh, I'll be there. There's a ladies meeting, oh, I'll be there. There's a young adults, there's this, there's that. They want more and more and more. Again, I encourage you, were you ever there in your walk with God? Why aren't you there now? Have you all of a sudden outgrown him, right? Are you that person in engagement that's telling your fiance, nah, honey, I've seen you enough times this week, it's okay, right? Or do you still desire more of the Lord? It's pouring outside. So we go for like another hour, right? doesn't matter. Verse 19, it says, Then he said, I will make all my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Again, Moses asked to see God's glory. And notice what God equates to his glory. It wasn't, David Guzik, he points out, it wasn't God's justice to Moses. That wasn't his glory. It wasn't God's wrath against sin. That wasn't the glory of God. But all those are true aspects of God's nature. But what he wanted to show to Moses, when he wanted to show Moses his true glory, what did he show him? My goodness. How good God is. He says, Moses, you really want to see my glory? You really want to see at the end of the day what's the full balance or the full picture of who I am? Let me show you my goodness. Again, family, that's the true picture of who God is, is that he is such a good God. He's pure love. He's pure wrath. He's pure righteousness. He's pure grace. He's pure mercy, yet pure law. But you wrap all of that together, and he is such a good God. 
That's what his glory is. It's his goodness, how sweet he is, how gracious he is towards us. And then what's the second thing he says? I'm going to show you my name. I'm going to proclaim my name to you. Martin Lloyd joins, he says, hey Moses, I'm going to stoop down to your weakness. I'm going to show you something. But more important than that, I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you. And I will give you a deeper insight and understanding into myself and into my character and into what I am. That is what you really need to know. Again, that we would know the name of the Lord. That we would really know the goodness of our God. Again, we mentioned earlier how it takes humility to really know the Lord. To really be able to have that intimacy with Him. And there's some people here that think that they have a greater authority than God does. There are certain people that think that they demand to ask God certain questions about this or that. How dare you this? How dare you that? Right? I don't think this belongs in the Bible. I don't think this is relevant anymore. I don't think this is for today. And what you are proclaiming is that you are not only equal to God, but you are greater than God. Because you're saying that you can decide what belongs in his scripture more than he does. You can decide what is holy and not holy more than he does. And if you're taking that stance, just realize what you're doing. Parents, if this is where your kids are at, realize what they're doing. They're saying, I'm not only equal to God, but I am greater than God. Right? Imagine someone editing what you're saying. Right? No, no, no. You know what my dad really means is X, Y, or Z, right? They're taking authority over your words. Authority over how people see you, how people listen to you. So again, Moses, when he comes to God, it is in just mercy. It isn't just, God, you are the authority. God, I am no one. Can I get to know you more and more? Then he says, verse 20, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. Again, we saw earlier when it says that he spoke to God face to face. It's literally mouth to mouth, talking about their intimacy, their friendship, the relationship they had. Verse 21, the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand while I pass by, and then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Again, the power of God here. Realize the only way that Moses could see any part of God and survive is with God's own protection. That's the only way he could see any amount of God was only if God would protect him. Only if God would guide him. Again, that cleft of the rock, right? We know the rock for us, that's Jesus Christ. We need to hide ourselves in him. He's the protection from God, literally from God, right? That's who he is for us. And that's the only way we're going to see his glory. That's the only way we're going to know him intimately is by being in the rock Hiding ourselves in who Jesus Christ is. Hiding ourselves in the presence of his word. Hiding ourselves in him. Again, the word. We need to spend more time in his word. More time in the protection of Jesus Christ. That we would be drawn nearer and nearer to him. That he would be revealing himself to us. Concealing us from his wrath and what we really deserve. And that we would taste of his blessings taste of his protection so again family at the end of all this do you want that intimacy with God the same voice that spoke the earth into existence wants to speak to you and to me this morning but do we truly want it or do we say my sin I want that more the friendship of this world I want that more again just where are we at and the amazing thing about the Lord is that we can be completely honest with him if right now you're saying, Lord, I, what I really want right now are those friendships. But God, help me to desire you more. Lord, what I really want is this toy, this gadget, this thing. But Lord, create in me that clean heart. Lord, I really do want this, but God, that's not where I'm at right now. Help me to do it. And Lord, help me to begin to practically seek you more. To go outside the camp and spend more time with you.